This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. So we continue our uh, series in Matthew, uh, Signs and Wonders, where we see the first grouping of three stories in chapter 8. And this is giving us a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven, a glimpse of the authority of Jesus and the reversal of expectations of who would be welcomed into his kingdom. So every one of us here, we have expectations, an opinion of the future. Even our minis and littles downstairs, they have expectations. They're expecting their parents to come back. Please do. It's an innate process where we form expectations based on our experiences, our uh, evidence, and our understanding. And like it or not, we have healthy and unhealthy expectations. Expectations of one another. You have expectations of me. And we've got expectations of ourselves. And though expectations are naturally formed in us, it possesses a power. A power that could sometimes persuade reality. Meaning our expectations of something or someone can affect the way we perceive and experience an event. And so what Jesus is doing in chapter 8 is not only breaking expectations of what the Messiah came to do and whom he welcomes into his kingdom, but Jesus is setting proper expectations of who he really is and what he really came to do. And Matthew tells stories of Jesus caring for the three most marginalized groups in first century Jewish culture. Lepers, Gentiles, and women, where the cultural expectation that was held was that these groups of people, they were outsiders, having little to no worth. And yet Jesus enters into their situations and shows compassion to them, bringing not only physical healing, but social and spiritual restoration. And our prayer is that, that our inaccurate expectations of Jesus, what it really means to follow him faithfully would be broken today, but also set correctly by Jesus himself. And so our title for today's sermon is this, Healing the Gentile, the Woman, and Many. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 17. Let's look at uh, the first section here, the healing of the Gentile. Let's look at verse 5. Read along with me. When he came, he entered Capernaum. A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Twice we see the word enter in our passage. Right? Jesus enters their circumstance. And in this text, he enters Capernaum, where many miracles were done. It was kind of, of Jesus' base. And a centurion approaches Jesus. I've personally not run into a centurion before. That's a joke. (laughs) But this is what we know from history. A centurion was a commander in the Roman army, right, in charge of a century, a hundred soldiers. They had experience in power and had authority, and, um, and they were in charge of training and disciplining their military unit. 
And visibly, their uniform and weapons look different compared to a typical Roman soldier. A centurion would have their, uh, their knife, their sword on one side, where a, a soldier would have it on the other side. And so this Roman centurion would be a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And so for a second, forget what this man's vocation entailed. From a Jewish perspective, he was considered a pagan, an outsider who does not know the true God like the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, they had pride in their cultural and religious heritage that linked them to Yahweh. But the Gentiles were considered so unspiritual that even being in their presence could make a person unclean. And so a Roman captain of the army, who had military authority, who was actively occupying Israel, seen as the enemy of the Jewish people and considered unclean, sometimes called dogs, approaches Jesus. This would create instant tension. We've all been in tense situations before. So has Jesus in his ministry. And it's not necessarily a negative connotation. And the centurion says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. We're not sure what the illness or the disease might be, but we know the emotion that the servant is feeling, suffering. Centurions were not able to legally marry during their line of service, so it's very possible that the centurion's closest family would be a servant, also considered a Gentile. At this time, Jesus had built a reputation of being a healer, so it's assumed that the centurion is not approaching Jesus blindly, but with the intention and out of his care of his dying beloved servant. And notice that the centurion doesn't ask anything, but simply states the situation. He's looking for something beyond human with this statement. And I believe the focus here is not so much in what he said to Jesus, but how he was saying it. Because we know this man had faith. And so what he said ought not to be the focus. It's how he said it. He said these words in faith. When we are in the presence of God, do we focus on what we are asking or how we are asking? To, this, to us, this man wasn't really clear in what he was wanting Jesus to do, but it is clear that he believed that Jesus was able to do it. James 1.6 says, but let him ask in faith. And sometimes our prayer ought to be, Lord, give me faith. Those words are so sufficient. And Jesus responds. The NIV CCB translates verse 7 as a question. Am I to come and heal him? Which makes more sense looking at the centurion's response that follows. The centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And why did the centurion respond this way? Right? He recognized himself and his servant as being a Gentile that is unclean and unfit for a Jewish re- uh, religious teacher to be under the roof of a Gentile. 
But he also says it's not necessary for you to come, Jesus. And the soldier who had this authority recognized a deeper authority. Jesus' physical healings involved his presence and often his touch, as we see with the leper in Matthew 4, is of people coming to him with those who are sick and those who are ill so that Jesus can be around them and Jesus can heal them. But in this story, the person being healed is not the main character. In fact, the servant is not even around Jesus. And the centurion uses this military analogy saying, Man, I can issue out orders and it's obeyed because of my human level of authority that I possess over my unit. The expectation is that my authority allows a task to be completed without my physical presence being there. I get it. I, too, am a man under authority. And so when the centurion answers Jesus' question, Lord, I'm not worthy and you don't need to come, it's revealing that this person understands Jesus' spiritual, divine, supernatural authority is able to heal without Jesus' presence physically needing to be there or touching them. As one commentary says, the centurion realizes that Jesus might heal with a touch, but not by a touch. Jesus' power is not constrained by his location. He has faith that Jesus is well capable of healing his servant with simply a word. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. My fa- and this man's faith in Jesus' authority is revealed. Verse 10 says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. All right, pay attention. When Jesus says truly, it's kind of like when I say pay attention. Because he's about to emphasize something in his teaching that many will find unexpected. He says several times, truly, truly. And he says it, truly. The centurion's response brought out a reaction from Jesus that happened only one other time in Scripture. And he wasn't caught off guard with the centurion's response because he's God. But he's also human. And so this reaction shows Jesus' humanity. Jesus marveled. Jesus was amazed. The other recorded time when Jesus marvels is in Mark 6, 6, at the lack of faith of people of his hometown in Nazareth. But this marvel was not due to a lack of faith, but a full of faith. One of the most unlikely individuals, viewed as unspiritual, with a paganistic upbringing, an enemy of God's people, amazes Jesus, not because of his production, his works, not even his fruits, but through his belief. Jesus marveled at that. The kingdom of heaven consists of individuals with faith. This is what pleases God. This is who Jesus welcomes. But sadly, we, the church, we we can get it wrong when we add our own expectations 
to that requirement. Expectations like, man, you can't be struggling, though. Or you can't be struggling with a specific sin. You can't be struggling in your marriage or in your singleness. You can't be struggling with your faith. Expectations like, man, you're not doing enough. You're not serving enough. You're not knowing enough. You're just not being enough. Jesus isn't marveled with how much you know or how much you do. He's not impressed by worldly achievements, by climbing up the hierarchy of employment or status or even the church world. What amazed Jesus was an outsider believing that Jesus had the authority to heal in a way that no Jewish individual believed that was possible. It was in this sense that this man's faith surpasses everyone in Israel. Do we truly have faith in the words of Jesus? His power, his authority, his love. And Jesus is revealing something much bigger through this image in these next verses and challenges his, his hearers. The Gentiles are included in the feast that is to come. They would join Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the table, not a different table, but the same table, the children of God on equal terms. The Jewish traditional thought about the feast that is to take place was, man, even if I don't get to sit next to Abraham, I'm invited. I'll be there. Because my heritage and my religion is what makes me belong to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus proclaims what's written in Isaiah 43, 5. It says, fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, east, west. What? I will bring, it's a new direction, the west. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I am with you. I will bring. I will gather. Jesus does it. Jesus has come to gather a new people. No longer restricted to Israel. A community where a certain line of heritage and ethnicity, a community where social, financial, educational class is not the expectation to be at the table, but in Christ alone. Jesus reverses the expectations of who would be welcomed into his kingdom. And this broke all understanding of traditional Jewish theology, including racial and ritual expectations. But it gets worse. Not only does Jesus say these so-called outsiders are included in the kingdom of heaven, he says who would be excluded? The sons of the kingdom. The faithless of those in Israel will face judgment and exclusion in the kingdom of heaven. They will not be at the banquet. Instead, in the outer darkness, separation from God. Jesus sets the correct expectation of what the kingdom will look like. So let me ask, what does our expectation of his kingdom look like? Who is not allowed, based on our own expectations, to, to sit with that table with Jesus? Or maybe a better question, who has been sitting 
at our literal dinner tables. I think that might reveal a little bit more than we desire. Jesus welcomes all to sit with him. And so Jesus goes back to the centurion. So let it be done for you as you believed. And by his words, Jesus heals the Gentile servant. He did what the centurion knew what Jesus is able to do simply by his words. But his word has authority. Have faith in that. And now Jesus enters his disciples' house and sees Peter's mother-in-law. This is a more personal healing without a crowd. He not only breaks expectations here with this woman, but the Jewish regulations forbid a man touching another woman, not your spouse. But Jesus touches her. In the synagogues in Israel during this time, women were placed behind screens in the back. They weren't allowed as far inside the temple as Jewish men. And Jesus breaks down that exclusion wall of who can come to him, that incorrect expectation. But Jesus goes and enters and touches and heals her. In the story of the leper and the Gentile, there was some sort of petition on the sixth behalf, right? But for this woman, there was no ask. There was no conditions. She is healed immediately simply because Jesus wants to heal her. She is seen. She is valued. She's loved. The mercy of Jesus works in the manner that he wills. At the same time, he is more willing to help than we realize, especially those who might believe that they are not worthy or too ashamed or have too much baggage. His mercy moves beyond religious and racial and gender walls. And we see the woman's response. She rose and began to serve Jesus. But Jesus' service resulted in her service. Bruner says it's it's doctrinally important to notice that it was not that her service that released Jesus' grace. It was his grace that released her service. Remember, Jesus just finished preaching a sermon on the mount about loving our enemies. And now he's practicing this in his miracles of loving the marginalized, including those seen as enemies. And someone out there at 9.30 prayed for, her, for his enemies. That was such a blessing to me. That evening, he healed many, those who were oppressed by demons, those who were sick, with the same authoritative words he casted them out. And now verse 17, verse 17 deeper explains the purpose of Jesus' miracles. Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, pointing to the Messiah that would come. A Messiah that would be willing to take on the disease by touching the untouchables. Willing to be misunderstood by healing the Gentile. Who would be willing to break expectations by touching the feverish woman. Because Jesus came as the suffering servant to take it on. 
to take on everything that is broken, not just the spiritual brokenness, but the physical, the emotional, the heartache. He came not just to heal temporarily, but permanently. Because these healings point to a greater work of Christ, a work that deletes illness, sickness, and disease. That is the work of the cross. The same Jesus that spoke the words and brought these miraculous healings with his authority spoke his final words before his death with that same authority saying, it is finished. The law was fulfilled. The wrath of God was satisfied and sinners like you are me and welcome into the kingdom of heaven if we choose to believe we choose to repent and believe in who Christ is. Because Isaiah 53 isn't just a man that would come to bear our weakness. The prophet Isaiah includes in the same chapter, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Jesus finished where we can't even start. But living a perfect life and dying a death we deserve due to our sin. There'd be no need of miracles if sin didn't exist in our world and within us. But because of sin, our world is broken. And we are broken. And that's exactly why Jesus came to make things new again, to restore, to redeem. He touched the leper but didn't get leprosy. He brought healing to a Gentile but wasn't defiled. He touched the feverish woman but didn't get ill. And the same way, he died. But he's not dead. He's so much greater than that. For he walked out of the tomb three days later after defeating death and everything that comes with it. And is with his father in heaven awaiting his return. He finished it. Do we actually believe that? Do our lives reflect that belief? Because sometimes we think there is more to complete. But you can't add on to a finished work. Just like Jesus completely healed the Gentile and the woman by his word and by his touch, he has completely paid the price for our sins, and we are completely forgiven in Christ so that we may share his delight of having a relationship with God as his own children. This is the foundation of our faith. This is what Jesus marvels at. This is what pleases God, having faith in him. Do we have faith that Jesus is enough for every need? If we believe that, are we willing to not live by expectations, but live like Christ? In a way that welcomes and loves who might not look like us, might not act like us, might not even talk or smell like us. The kingdom of heaven 
was established in Jesus' first return, and he welcomes the humble, the unworthy, the ones who would believe in him. And the kingdom of heaven will be fulfilled in his second coming, and so we wait not passively in defeat, but actively in hope through Christ's victory. So we wait in our hope. We wait in hope in our trials. We wait in hope in our chronic illnesses. We wait in hope through the traumas we've gone through. We wait in hope in our pain. We wait in hope in our anxiety. We wait in hope in our hurt. Because Jesus came to save us from all of that. So that we'd be with him in paradise. That's why he came. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.